God had just promised Abraham and Sarah a son. Abraham was 99 and Sarah 90. When Abraham heard it, he laughed. And later when Sarah heard it, she also laughed. But Abraham believed and entered into a covenant with God. A covenant is a relationship that changes you. He entered into a covenant with God and then applied the sign of circumcision to all those prescribed by God to receive circumcision, which led up to our account today, which began with what? The Lord appeared to Abraham. What followed with the three men occurred within the context of an encounter with God. There's something more going on here than meets the eye. Abraham desires to provide hospitality, but he doesn't presume or impose. But he asks, essentially, may, may I wash your feet and bring some food as you rest? Abraham's actions are informed and guided by the reality of the situation and respect for the freedom of these three figures. And they could have said, no, we don't have time, we need to go, or we have a food allergy, sorry, can't eat. In other words, Abraham didn't impose his idea on them. He seems to have understood that he himself is not the ultimate reference point. He had just listened to the Lord, entered into the covenant with him, and enacted circumcision at the Lord's request. Something beyond himself dictated his response, his proper response. In contrast, in the gospel, we find that Martha is telling her guest, the Lord who has appeared to her, Jesus, what he actually wants, what others should be doing, and what he himself should be doing. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. Martha's reference point seems to be herself, and her actions seem to be concerned not so much with serving others, but with serving her own take on reality. You can have good actions, but for bad reasons. It's a little bit like the parable of the Good Samaritan from last week. The scholar the law asked Jesus, you know, who is my neighbor? Come on, you, Jesus. We will determine who is worthy or deserving of our kind, benevolent treatment and who is not. No, Jesus essentially said, don't ask that, but ask, what is a neighbor? And then, are you living as one? Without listening to reality, without listening to reality's creator and Lord, one misses the only thing needed. For Jesus reveals and is what humans need. Not by bread alone does man live, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. But the question isn't, what do I want of life or reality? But rather, what does life ask or require of me? It reminds me of Viktor Frankl, the Jewish psychologist in the 20th century, who along with his family were sent to concentration camps. He was the only one who survived out of his family kept a memoir and then published it afterwards. He said that we found that we had to give people a why, a purpose for which to live and endure the suffering. And he wrote, 
The typical reply with which such a man rejected all encouraging arguments was, I have nothing to expect from life anymore. What sort of answer can one give to that? What was really needed was a fundamental change in our attitude toward life. We had to learn ourselves, and furthermore, we had to teach the despairing men that it did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. We needed to stop asking about the meaning of life and said to think of ourselves as those who are being questioned by life daily and hourly. Our answer must consist not in talk and meditation, but in right action and in right conduct. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. Now, we know this in a special way here at JB2. Life asked something of us. For most of you, it was, leave your former parish communities behind. I'm some were excited by this, some not so much. Father Riley, during those interim months that he was here, held all the transfer requests. Some came in, some have come in since. He said he would just defer them until a pastor was named. Now, ultimately, I want people invested as a disciple somewhere, especially here. But if not here, you have to be invested somewhere to be a disciple. And furthermore, it's hard to imagine how to compel someone to be here if they're intent on being elsewhere. How do you do that? But I always run the reality of the situation by them so that they can actually make a choice. You know, some express a desire to be back in the community with around people that they, they knew. Or, especially when we were at a gym, that we'd have an actual church and it would be bigger and more comfortable. Or that we'd have more programs, they have more offerings there. I get that and I try to suggest what you're appreciating is dependent upon others who have done what you are being asked to do right now, to build things, to develop a parish, right? We're standing on the shoulders of what so many others have done before us. I don't know about you, but I've taken that for granted throughout my life until now, all of a sudden, we have the opportunity to actually take some responsibility for all the benefits we've experienced in our life and say, yes, in order for me to have had those opportunities elsewhere, it required others to do what I'm being asked to do now. I mean, it gives us just a glimmer of what Jesus said is necessary. If you love father and mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. We're part of that great apostolic mission. Go into the whole world and proclaim the good news. And here it comes to us in order for that to develop and come to fruition in this place and time. Saying no, saying no to that undermines the ground on which we stand. Such choices are deeply problematic. On a more lighthearted side, you think of shirking household responsibilities 
while accepting or expecting to enjoy the fruits of the household, like shelter, food, entertainment, love. To say, no, I'm not going to play a part, I won't do my chores, well, that's compromised to the ground on which they stand. They depend on effort being employed in order to benefit them, benefit their family members. To say no is ultimately to say, no, I don't really want shelter, food, and entertainment law because those require the effort in order for them to exist. It's what we saw in the gospel a couple of weeks ago and Jesus sent out his disciples without food or money. He worked into the proclamation of the gospel, the necessity of reciprocity. People had to want what they had to offer in order for the preacher to survive and the community to thrive. It's what St. Paul was alluding to when he said, those who don't work shouldn't eat because work is necessary in order for the eating to occur. Of course, abortion is the ultimate undermining of the ground on which we stand. For every human being is dependent on his or her mother's choice to act in accord with reality and limit her choices to make space for the life in her womb. To advocate for abortion is to advocate for the annihilation of the ground on which every human being depends to be alive. To support abortion is to support one's own non-existence. Regardless of the person's intention, it's a violation of reality itself. It does metaphysical violence, which is reflected in the violent response to the Supreme Court or to the the vandalism that took place over the century, or to the stealing of our sign out front. Regardless of the person's intention, it's a violation of reality itself and must be a part of the deep dissonance many who have sought or assisted with abortions feel. If my mother had chosen the same thing, I would not be here. How traumatic for kids to grow up in such an environment. I was disposable to my mother. Maybe I still am. A recent Kansas Supreme Court ruling removed the legal foundation for all existing laws that permit basic regulations on abortion. The value of them both amendment simply allows for these existing laws to be protected. The amendment reads as follows. Regulation of abortion. Because Kansans value both women and children, the Constitution of the state of Kansas does not require government funding of abortion and does not create or secure a right to abortion. To the extent permitted by the Constitution of the United States, the people through their elected state representatives and state senators may pass laws regarding abortion, including, but not limited to, laws that account for circumstances of pregnancy resulting from rape or incest, or circumstances of necessity to save the life of the mother. That's it. Here are a couple FAQs. Does the amendment ban abortion? 
The only thing valued in both bans is taxpayer-funded abortion, as we heard in the amendment, and which indicates that the stop the ban signs that you see are simply deceptions, lies, taking advantage of ignorance. Value them both simply allows you, through your elected officials, to continue to place limits on the abortion industry as we have done for the last five decades. It does not ban abortions. Secondly, isn't abortion already heavily regulated? Because of the 2019 Kansas Supreme Court ruling, every limit on the abortion industry is presumed unconstitutional and our laws limiting live dismemberment abortions and requiring abortion clinic inspection and sanitation standards have already been struck down. If value them both does not pass, virtually all laws regulating the abortion industry will fall, and the Kansas City Star has reported we could see a 1,000% increase in abortions in Kansas. And we're already moving in that direction. Friends, we're blessed to live in a country where we can vote as on August 2nd. It is our opportunity and our moral responsibility you and I have a duty to vote with a well-formed conscience. Life is questioning you. The Lord is questioning you. Will you live according to reality? Or will you create and impose your own? <laughs>